brought to you by Think Tank. Welcome to the newest episode of Stories of the Sisterhood. Uh, you're listening to Holly, Alicia, and Hannah. We've got a new person on today. Hi. Local <laughs> historian Hannah Snape. I wish I was a local historian. <laughs> Alas, She no. basically is. She's our kind of, you're basically, for the purposes of this episode, you are a local historian because you have a degree in history and you're from that the area. That is true. So. I will roll with that. Okay. Local <laughs> historian Hannah Snape. So, uh... The idea for today's episode actually came from Hannah, hence her title, Local Historian. So uh, what are we going to be talking about today? So today we're going to be talking about the Pendle Witch Trials, or more officially known as the Lancashire Witch Trials of 1612. So how did you kind of first come across this story? I'm guessing you've known about it for quite a, quite a while. Well, I am originally from Lancashire and went to school in a town called Clitheroe, which is in the Ribble Valley, just in the shadow of Pendle Hill itself. Oh, that would do it. So I have grown up with the story of the Pendle Witches, even doing some fun homework tasks for high school. I imagine that's a bit kind of like growing up in Bristol, everyone knew about Brunel and there's just like Brunel stuff everywhere. I imagine mm. maybe it's a similar sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's just obsessed like, with Brunel. Everything yeah. is Pendle Witches related. Yeah. There are shops If they can shoehorn it in, they will shoehorn yeah, it in. absolutely. It's basically half of our tourism industry is the Pendle Witches. We've got a bus service called the Witch Way. We have a statue of one of the witches in her home village and... The shops sell tacky souvenirs of witches and things like that, and we even have like a witch's potion brew from the local brewery. It's uh, it's quite a big wow. thing. And I imagine so at watch... Halloween, it's like a major oh yeah festival. There, are, there is a tradition of people going up onto the top of Pendle Hill on the night of Halloween, and uh, we actually have a world record in Lancashire for the number of witches uh, on a Pendle Hill walk. That's great. I it was, go. It was pretty cool. We should go the next year or at some point. Well, it was part of a uh, world record attempt for the 400-year anniversary um, of the witch trials, which was in... It took place in August 2012, and there were 482 people dressed as witches and walked nice. up Pendle Hill. And that was as well as many other things going on. Okay. So uh, what was it about the story that you kind of found interesting and you thought would make a good episode? Well, witches are always a very interesting topic, especially as this was quite a historically significant trial because it was one of the biggest witch trials in England at that time anyway. It was quite unusual for the time. And it's become one of the most infamous uh, witch trials in English history. It's kind of like, this might be a bit of an exaggeration as a comparison, but it's kind of like the United Kingdom's version of the Salem witch trials. You're a historian, you can say say what you want. (laughs) I don't know if that's how that works. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure you need some sort of PhD or something. (laughs) 
So let's do a little bit of um, background on the area at the time. So what would you say about like the Lancashire of 1612? Well, the Lancashire of 1612... I'm sure you remember it well. Oh, yeah. I remember <laughs> it summer. so well. <laughs> summer of 1612. I was a wee lass. Uh, <laughs> well, it, historically, it, was, um, it wasn't a very well-trusted area. It was still considered to be quite a wild and unruly area, at least particularly for the people in areas like London. It was as far away as you could possibly get. The Lake District, just to the northwest of us, was still completely inhospitable. And yeah, it like, wasn't really seen as like a holiday destination not, at that not point. Not at so that much. time. <laughs> it wasn't as uh, touristy, let's say. And basically the only reason people were going that far north was to go to Scotland. So it was still considered quite wild and unruly and inaccessible and they had a pretty bad history with the area of Lancashire, particularly the parish of Worley, who were involved in the Pilgrimage of Grace in 1535 after the dissolution of the monasteries by Henry VIII. Mm, that's a big no-no. And so there's a lot of like religious tension here between uh, Protestants and Catholics? Uh, to, to an extent. The Catholic Church had mostly been destroyed by the dissolution of the monasteries. Worley Abbey was particularly affected by it. Mm. But that would have been within living mem- memory? No, no. Not, not quite. quite. It was recent enough that the area was still suffering the effects of it. Yeah. The abbot of Worley had been hanged for treason for his involvement in the pilgrimage. And the area had never really recovered spiritually. The Anglican Church tried to take root, but never really established itself. So you ended up with the remnants of Catholic practices mixing with local folklore, which is where you get a very dangerous concoction in terms of religion, which to many people at the time started to look an awful lot like witchcraft. Mm. And so there'd been a fairly recent change of the law, a kind of tightening of the laws against witchcraft. So a lot of the... um, so the witches sort of to trial under this kind of strictening, strictening's not a word, but you know, <laughs> the rules have become a lot stricter. The tightening, the tightening of the laws. Of the laws. Severe. Yes. It's become more severe, yes. the severity of the laws. Yeah, people becoming a lot more suspicious of people accused of witchcraft. It had gone from a practice which was more seen as kind of local healers, wise women, wise men, that kind of thing, and now was very much viewed with suspicion and a certain amount of fear. And that was partly following the 1604 Act, which made being associated with witchcraft, anything that caused harm or death through witchcraft was sensible, uh, would be sentenced by the sentence of death. And anyone who was found guilty of being associated or aiding these practices in any way was also convicted by the same uh, law. Okay. And then on top of all this, uh, Lancashire was quite uh, poor. Lancashire time. was very poor. It was mm. still very separate from areas like London that were more wealthy and it wasn't the most affluent area. Most of the economy in that area was kind of farmland, uh, 
and the soil wasn't amazing, so they relied a lot on cattle and sheep. Lots and lots of sheep, still the same to this day. No one was particularly wealthy, and particularly the individuals implicated in the trials were not wealthy, or most of them were not wealthy. So, on to the events. So... When I was reading about what went down, I was finding it quite difficult to follow yeah. because there's a lot happening. There's a lot of uh, of accusations flying around, and there's a pretty large cast of characters, uh, most of which seem to come from these two families. Yes, this is where it gets confusing. Hold on to your hats. Okay. <laughs> so the two matriarchs of the main families were. Um, Elizabeth Southerns, known as Demdike. Why was she known as Demdike? I'm not, enti- I'm not entirely sure I could okay. tell you why she's called nickname. that. Okay. Old Demdike. Yes. And the other family, um, led by Anne Whittle. It's probably a maiden name. Yeah, maybe. Could be. Could be. Yeah, it's probably a maiden name. Um, Anne Whittle, known as Chattox, who led the other family. Yeah. Okay. So these two matriarchs were referred to as Old Demdike and Old Chattox. They were both very poor families and they were both begging in the area so they were probably seen as rivals to an extent they never came into contact with each other particularly but there were a lot of accusations flying around i don't think there was any love lost between the two it all kind of kicked off when john law was walking down the road one day and he came across indeed alison device alison device she is where this all kind of kicked off. Chronologically, I don't think this was the first thing that happened, but this is the event which kicked off the accusations. And the it was kind of the catalyst. Yeah. Yes. Basically, Alison was begging along the road and he was passing by and she asked... He was a peddler. That's quite an important thing to be aware of. Or does that mean just like a salesman? He person? yeah, basically like a one travelling salesman. He, he was a sort of person he would bring news from different towns and products of people to trade. And she asked him for some pins from his sack, uh begging him. She wasn't able to pay him and he refused. And it is said that her familiar spirit, which is kind of um, an evil... In witchy terms. In witchy terms. Yeah, it's like a little sidekick in witch terms. Uh, An embodiment of the devil who helps them out. Uh, Her familiar spirit appeared to her in the form of a large dog and asked to punish Law for his refusal, refusal to help Alison. So you can kind of imagine it. It's, she's, help, she's asked him for help, and then he said no and walked off, and then this little dog kind of poofs into existence next to her and goes, oh, that was mean of him. Can I get him for you? <laughs> and it, that's essentially what's happening in kind of like cartoonish terms. He's asking to like beat, beat up the bad guy for her. And she... She claims to have been reluctant to join her family business of witchcraft. So they were sort of known... There was suspicion surrounding the family already yeah, before this Yeah, this was happened. kind of an existing thing. OK. And I think this particular thing had peeved her. So she said, yeah, he, she could, the dog could lame John Law. What happened almost immediately is John Law fell to the ground. 
see so it seemed as though this curse had taken immediate effect although in the modern day we would recognize his symptoms as a stroke he was taken to a nearby alehouse uh, where he lay for a few days and he clay he he did recover but at the time he said he was plagued by the sight of Alison device and the image of the big black dog that he was convinced had caused him harm and in the trial, Alison admits to all this and claims that she did go to see him, but when she saw like the state he was in, she left. But he seems to think that she kept going back and while she kept appearing to him, he didn't get better. So he was under the belief that she had bewitched him, caused him this harm, and it was because of her that he was still in this state although again mm. we know now that, the true. symptoms of a stroke <laughs> yeah this is exactly what happens you are basically going to be like that for a while it's going to take a long time to recover yeah mm. and also it's worth mentioning that the justice of the peace that was involved with this uh, had a bit of a, a thing again he had a, a bit of a bugbear about witchcraft he really hated it is that right yeah roger noel uh i think that's how you pronounce it It's one I've always read and never really Mm. spoken aloud. But he had had a run-in with witchcraft uh, in his family. It was his nephew? His nephew's children had um, fallen ill in 1595 and they'd believed to have been possessed. That's it, yeah. Mm. And uh, when they got someone in to a professional in to try and heal them, it didn't go particularly well. So he'd had... Uh, a run-in with witchcraft before, or so he believed, and he believed that witchcraft had caused his family illness. Mm. So he was ready to throw the book at these guys, basically. And uh, at this point, when the attacks just happened and Alison is questioned, I suppose, she gives a lot of extra detail that no one really asked for. (laughs) Yeah, this wasn't her Voluntarily dumps a load of other people in it. Yeah, this bit seemed a bit strange, considering that, like, Alison, when she'd gone to see John Law, had ended up begging his forgiveness, and she'd forgiven him, but his son had not, and he'd continued to hound her. But now Alison seems to be, like, just rattling off all of the the crimes that she's committed. Yeah, I think she felt really guilty about what had happened. So even though... We now don't really believe that witchcraft is real or possible. At the time, the people in the area and probably Alison herself believed that witchcraft was was real. And even though she has stated in her confession that she was reluctant to take part, it appears that she has believed that she was cursing someone and then that person does indeed fall down as if they have been struck down by something. So I suppose in that context, it's not surprising that she possibly believed that she really did curse him, whether she intended to cause so much harm or not. She feels guilty and she apologises, she admits to it, she begs his forgiveness, which he, surprisingly, John Law himself 
does give. Like, yeah, all right. <laughs> but his son is having none These of it. Happen. Yeah. His son is his son is having absolutely none of that and wants it to go to trial and really comes for her. But I think in her guilt, she also admits to all these things going on with her family mm. that her grandmother, old Demdike, was in charge of the family and that they had a history of witchcraft in the family that she had been reluctant to join but had been talked into and this has happened as a result of it but all these other things that they have done and she's really sorry about but at the same time the authorities are just there like we didn't know about <laughs> these do you want to tell us some more and they're starts all the accusations that lead to these trials and it gets the whole family involved yeah yeah it gets so, the whole yeah. family involved and then some mm-hmm. and so through Alison's um confessions they decide to investigate the other people implicated and it sort of turns out that um a lot of people refer to this uh, meeting of the witches that had taken place at the house of old demdike yeah right? the yeah, malkin tower legendary meeting at Malkin Tower which allegedly took place on Good Friday on the 20th of April 1612 so it was earlier in the year earlier in the same year that the trials took place yeah they sort of gathered to um, discuss whether they were going to intervene with this other girl who had been accused Mm. of witchcraft yeah basically um, another woman from Yorkshire see Lancashire and Yorkshire can get on sometimes (laughs) Uh, Janet Preston was accused of witchcraft by a local man in her area called Thomas Lister who believed that she had bewitched and killed with witchcraft his father, Preston Senior, um, well, Lister Senior, uh, who had died in 1607. Supposedly, Thomas Lister's father had cried out while he was dying... Janet Preston lies heavily upon me and similar utterances and supposedly when she was taken to view the body after he had died the corpse started bleeding when she touched it which was a sure sign that she was responsible for his death so it was said that they had this meeting at Malkin Tower possibly to discuss what they were going to do about this situation and as the court would hear it to help out their fellow witch Mm. yes so um, the Confessions just kind of snowball and snowball and snowball and more people get accused and more people get accused. Yeah, basically, and frequently this meeting at Malkin Tower is one of the key pieces of evidence against them. Merely because of their presence at this meeting is enough for them to be to be condemned to death, essentially, under the 1604 Act. I feel at this point we should introduce another very important player who is not one of the witches, but is actually the author of the primary source that we have for this event, who is um, Thomas Potts, who was the clerk in the trial at the Lancaster Assizes. Mm. And let me guess, he doesn't give an unbiased mm. portrait. Yeah. He like witches very much. No, he's not a big fan of witches. And like many people at the time, he is very much against witches. And it's worth noting that the account he gives of the trials is um, written afterwards. So he's writing mm. it 
with hindsight. Yeah, and he gives a description oh, of one of them, old Demdike, and he'd never even seen her before. He'd never even met her. Old Demdike did not go to trial. She died before the trials even yeah, started. But he, still he never a saw her. Of her. But mm. he still describes her in kind of the most stereotypical <laughs> witchy uh, description you can imagine. Mm. Uh, yeah, oh, I think I've got it here. A damnable and malicious witch, a sink of villainy and mischief. A sink of... I don't know what that means. Sink of villainy and mischief. Yeah. Um, what, what she's evil and conniving and cunning and mm. basically everything that is bad. So they were on trial at the Lancashire Assizes. So should we just briefly explain what the word assize means? If some people might not know. An assize was a court which sat at intervals in the country, uh, counties of England and Wales to administer civil and criminal law. And the judges would travel around the country. So the judge in this circumstance was Sir Edward Bromley, and he was, it, this trial took place when he was in the county of Lancaster, and that is why it's called the Lancaster Assize. Okay. Because it was the trial with that judge who, that was taking place at that time, and it took place in the summer, so it was the summer assize of that year. The first step on trial is Anne Whittle. Okay. Correct. Um, so this is old Chattox, who is, I gather, quite a um, quite advanced in years by this point. She was an old lady, yeah. Yeah, so she was really old, but he wasn't about her to let her get away with anything. Oh, no. I think he realised that this could have worked in her favour and mm. was very quick to emphasise the multitude of her crimes mm. and take away all sense of humanity. Mm. And Sounds like a nice guy. He, yeah, he was a proper nice guy. And he dresses up some pretty old scores as well. So some of the things she's accused of were happened 18 years before the events and involved people who had since died. Yeah, this is why these trials get so confusing because there are so many accusations and I think in total the people accused are implicated in about 16 murders. Something ridiculous like that. There are about 16 people who have died over the recent years in unexplained circumstances and are attributed to these people. We can go through the list at some point <laughs> of who was, who was accused of killing who yeah. and mm. different people were involved and sometimes multiple people were involved. And we've got a bit of an extract of a charm that she was supposed to have used... Well, this is one of the pieces of evidence, supposedly, that she was a, practi uh, a practitioner of witchcraft. But this is quite an interesting one to use, because supposedly this is the charm Old Chattox was meant to have used to take the curse off a drink at the home of one John Moore. So she's actually been a good, she's been a good guy here. Well, I don't know if she was drinking it herself. Maybe <laughs> she was making sure that no one had cursed her. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. But the, um, the charm supposedly goes... Three biters hast thou bitten, the heart, ill eye, ill tongue. Three biters shall be thy boot, father, son, and holy ghost, a god's name, five paternosters, five avis, and a creed, in worship of five wounds of our Lord. Which, you can kind of see the mixture of mm. the Catholic with the folklore there. A lot of symbolism associated mm. with Christianity. Yeah, definitely. Like the five wounds, uh, different chants um, to do with uh, 
the father, the son, the, the yeah, trinity. The Nostos and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and the reference to the five wounds, it's been the basis of a popular cult in the Middle Ages, so it's kind of far-reaching and mm. quite well-known, but clearly is mixed with something considered to be quite suspicious at the time. So what else was she accused of doing? Oh, she was accused of many, many things. <laughs> um, apparently when she used this chant at the house of... Uh, at Moore's house, John Moore, his wife had told her off for it and Chattox took offence to this. She didn't like being told off for t- uh, using this chant. And supposedly she cursed their milk cow in revenge rude very rude (laughs) apparently the cow went mad and died six weeks later Mm. which is a classic sign of witchcraft when you curse people's cattle and it seems like another thing that's sort of a sign of a witch is that milk goes sour at their touch Mm. and i wonder if that's playing into those anxieties about you know losing your source of livelihood yeah yeah possibly yeah if you're saying because it's uh they rely a lot on cattle because the soil's not good for agriculture then, you know, I can see that, you know, the thought of your milk gal getting cursed by a witch, I mean, that mm. could mean poverty for you and your True. family. So who's up next? We've got uh, Elizabeth Device. Is that how you pronounce the name? Elizabeth Device? Oh, that is, we haven't even got to the end of what Chastix oh, was accused sorry. of. <laughs> carry on, carry on. <laughs> You really did. Yeah, Chattox has got even more accusations against her. So not only did she curse and eventually kill Moore and the cow belonging to John Moore and his wife, um, which she pleaded not guilty to, obviously, uh, there was also evidence from our old friend, uh, old Demdike, as well as other people, but also her own confession. Again, she confesses to more things um, and it is mostly concentrated around the death of a man called Robert Nutter. Um, and the evidence was given by James Robinson, who had lived with Robert Nutter's grandfather. And this is a, a death which took place 18 years ago. This is one, of those, this is one of those historical accusations and Nutter believed himself to be the victim of Chattox, and he also accused her daughter, Anne Redfern, who was another one of the defendants in the trial, and he accused them of bewitching him, and again, this is one of the milk ones, he accused them of turning his uh, milk sour when they touched it. Again with the milk. Mm. Again with the milk. And when Nutter recovered, he went to Wales, promising his grandfather that when he came back, he'd get rid of these women but he died on his way back to Pendle. Okay. And then Chaddix was also accused of grey robbing. She uh, stole scalps and teeth from corpses, presumably, and they were found at her home, along with clay images uh, made by her to bring about the death of Anne Nutter. Um, so there's a pretty lengthy lift of uh, crimes attributed to Will Chaddix. Wasn't grey robbing pretty common back then, though? Mm. Mm. You get stuff to sell. Even if it's you could sell teeth it's still... because people would take the teeth out of their bodies and use them to replace their own teeth. Mm. Ooh, Isn't that I what happened? Say that. I swear that's what people used to do. Probably. I wouldn't be surprised. Mm. I guess even if it com- was common, it was presumably still illegal. Yeah. So. Oh, absolutely. Found upon. Again, mm. under the 1604 Act, one of the things that was punishable by death was grave robbing. Uh, so, mm. so not looking ding, good. Ding, ding. Not looking good. Chattox is hitting a lot of. Um, 
a lot of points when it comes to the 1604 law. Yeah, she's a high scorer <laughs> when it comes to the 1604 Act against witchcraft. She has, she's cursed people. She's accused of people killing people with witchcraft, killing a cow with witchcraft. She turns milk sour at her touch, and she has. She has great skill when it comes to using clay figures to curse people. A little bit like voodoo mm. dolls. That kind of idea, okay. yeah. Using images of people to curse them and uh, grave robbing. So she's hitting pretty much every possible no-no, basically, under this law. So she, if I think if she hadn't... Uh, so Demdike was a similar situation, I think. These guys were pretty much doomed. As soon as all this evidence came out in court, they were they were going to throw the book at them. There was nothing they could say to get out of this. And even one of these accusations was enough for them to be sent to death. So I'm going to say next up we have Elizabeth Device. Is that right? Uh, I think <laughs> got so. to I the end that. of uh... Elizabeth yeah. Device is next. Yeah, Elizabeth Device was Demdike's uh, Dem old Demdike's daughter, and. Again, we see murder by witchcraft. She was charged on three counts, and the names of the people she was supposedly the murderer of was John and James Robinson and uh, a lady called Alice Nutter. Mm. But she didn't want to confess. She did not want to confess. No. Uh, she also had a she had a fun nickname called. She was known as Squinting Lizzie because she had one eye higher than the oh, other. It's so mean. <laughs> it's mean. And she was um, accused by her own daughter, Janet. She was, yes. So Janet claimed that Elizabeth had been the sort of mastermind behind this Malkin Tower meeting and um, basically sort of told the court of all her mother's crimes. Yeah, Janet will hear from a lot in these trials. She really didn't have a great relationship mm. with her mother. Yeah, her mother started screaming at her in the courtroom when yeah. she... And so it seems pretty clear that she was not... The daughter was not being treated well and was Yeah, there abused. has been a suggestion that there was some sort mm. of abuse going on in mm. their relationship. There, there was no love lost between them. It seems like there was quite a lot of underlying issues here that don't actually have that much to do with witchcraft, mm. but that's just how they're coming into play. Yeah, yeah. a lot of societal anxiety... Mm. Uh, rivalries between families yeah. and poverty poverty infighting in the families yeah abuse all that stuff it's all sort of it's all coming, coming out. out in the wash mm. yeah so Elizabeth refused to confess to the things that she was accused of she'd made some sort of statement to Roger Noel and Nicholas Bannister who were the justices of the peace in the area uh, back in April of 1612 but by the time she got to trial, she denied that she'd made such a statement. So it seems that she'd admitted to everything once and then went back on it. Mm, okay. And this is where her daughter comes in and gives evidence against her, claiming that everything that was said to have happened did indeed happen, and that Elizabeth was the mastermind behind this meeting at Malkin Tower where they discussed how to get rid of John Lister, uh, Thomas Lister. We've also got... Um, it wasn't just women that were on trial. No, it wasn't. Saying. There were yeah. some men as well. James Device. Yeah, he tried. James Device was... Obviously, this podcast is mainly about women, so we'll focus <laughs> more on the women, but, you know, we'll give the men an honourable yeah. mention here. And there are more women to focus on. Yes. There were absolutely more women to focus on. These families were 
headed by women. It was mostly women involved. And the men weren't as involved with the events. But James Device was also um, charged with causing uh, deaths by witchcraft. Yes, and he James... stole a lamb for the feast at the Malkin Tower meeting. Oh, so he stole the dinner that they had at this meeting. Yeah, yeah, apparently so. Um, but he was also accused of another death. It was believed that he may have been tortured in order to get a confession. He was clearly not well, and this was a young man. He was a labourer. Um, he worked for his living, and yet he appears in the courtroom clearly very unwell and not in great shape so it was quite clear that something was happening that wasn't right and Potts never really properly explains his condition which leads us to suspect that he might have been tortured. Okay so we've also got Anne Redfern who seems was basically convicted on pretty much no evidence at all. Yeah this seemed really hazy this one. This one was very hazy um, this kind of is... seems like they were just a bit desperate to stamp out witchcraft so much, so like anyone even slightly implicated mm. or yeah. slightly involved. Anne Redfern, we've already heard about once very briefly, because she was charged with causing the death of Christopher Nutter, the same man she had already been cleared of murdering, but her mother, whom we've already heard about, uh, old Chattox, has already been ac- uh, has already been convicted for. And this is the murder that took place 18 years previously. So this is the historical one again. And it was supposedly her and her mother who brought about his death. But she had been cleared of it first time round. Again, she pleaded not guilty. But she was described by Potts as being more dangerous than her mother for being responsible for many strange practices. But there was no evidence for this. Yeah, like, what even... What, was, what were even the grounds on which he was accusing her of being worse than her mother? Because we, we don't even have anything more specific to lay at her feet. Literally, the only thing they had to... The only evidence they had against her were basically no more than hazy memories of the people around. And we never really know why... There's no explanation of why she would want Christopher Nutter to become ill. It's... Basically, she was accused by their old adversary, old Demdike, again. And so she's like, if I'm going down, I'm taking everybody with me. Exactly, yes. You um, and you, and you were also there as well. Yeah, and basically. Demdike is supposed to have said that Anne Redfern was a master in the use of clay images. Yeah, like again, we again. see the Chattox family are very good with these little... Master potters. Yeah, master potters, <laughs> and using them... Not as pretty decorations, but to kill people. So Alice Nutter is on trial. Yeah. So Alice Nutter, this is where the trials become even more confusing, if possible. Because Alice Nutter is the first defendant who was not a member of either the Demdike or Chattox clans. She was not related to them at all. And she was of a completely different social status. She was fairly well off she was quite a rich woman of greater described as being a rich woman of great estate and with children of good hope and there have been different suggestions about why she might have been accused jealousy maybe yeah i seem to be detecting a lot of ulterior motives here 
Yeah, so she had a... Her son was one of these children of Good Hope, but it seems like the greed of her son could have been involved. She could have been accused to hurry up his inheritance, maybe. Um, There was also rumours of disputes of land with Roger Noel, who was the Justice of the Peace already mentioned, uh, who was supposedly her neighbour. And uh, a modern... Uh, concept is that she is the martyr of the Catholic faith. So we've got lots and lots of different suggestions yeah, of why on, yeah. she was accused, but... But she didn't say anything in her own defence? No, but a lot of these accusations were fairly... are now fairly easily falsified, uh, fairly easily disproved. Mm-hmm. There's no evidence that Roger Noel was her neighbour. The greed of her son and this... Mm-hmm dispute with her neighbour. They don't see... These are very popular ones in modern historiography, um, like Robert Neal's Mist Over Pendle and Harrison Ainsworth, The Lancashire Witches. Um, They've put quite a lot of weight on these theories, but Goodyear, um, the author of the book I was looking at, um, doesn't seem as convinced. So there is a little bit of debate around exactly why she was accused. It's interesting that she was found guilty of murdering a man over a penny when she was supposed to be, like, the more well-off one. Mm. (laughs) Well, yeah, the suggestion made by Potts in his uh, discovery of witches was um, that she became a witch out of the desire for revenge. Um... And it suggested that she was part of the conspiracy with Elizabeth Device to bring about the death of Henry Mitten because of his refusal to give Demdike a penny. So this is another example of the witches helping each other out. Um, Again, even being a witch could get you killed and associating with witches and helping them could get you killed. So they're guilty on two parts here. And so Catherine Huey is another of the people accused in the the Malkin Tower meeting. Um... And so the the evidence for her seems to have come, again, from the sort of mudslinging that's happening uh, after this meeting. So she's accused to, um, along with the woman called Anne Gray, of having killed Anne Falls, the child of their neighbour. And apparently they're said to have boasted that they were in the process of killing another child. OK, but she pleaded not guilty to the murder. Yeah, I think I would plead. I'd plead Me not guilty also. to the murder of children. Mm. It's not something you want to be accused of. It's not a nice one at all. But uh, this is another one who had a funny nickname. Her nickname was uh, alias was Mold Heels, but Potts never really elaborates on this. Mold he never heels. explains why she's called Mold Heels. Okay. But again, not a very nice nickname. No. But this is a similar one um, to uh, Alice Nutter. She's fairly well off not related to these original families. Um, And it seems like the only link to them is this meeting at Malkin Tower again. And it's suggested that these two both kind of got involved in these, with these witches to just lend them a hand and help the needy, seemingly quite a nice thing to do until it gets you accused of witchcraft. Okay, so who's next? John and Jane Bullock. Bullcock, another slightly unfortunate name. They were also at the meeting at Malkin once. Tower. Yeah, once again they trot out the meeting at Malkin Tower. Um, supposedly they were they confessed to be, to bewitching Janet Dean and uh, consented to Lister's murder. 
and even claimed that Jane Bullcock may have known other witches about Paddyham, Paddyham and Burnley. I mean, That's from Black, as I'm from Blackburn, I am always suspicious of Burnley, so I'm with them on that. I mean, and it's quite a sort of vague accusation, just like she might have known other witches. Oh, that's enough to convict her then. Let's, yeah, you know, that's, that's this off. Throw them in. Yeah, basically, they were just accused of general witchcrafts, enchantments, charms, and sorcery, uh, causing Janet Dean, um, another person that we hear about, to waste and be consumed, after which she became mad. It seems witches really enjoy sending people mad. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes cows. Including yeah. cows, yes. Yeah. Okay, so after John and Jane, we've got Alison Device, who was the first person... She was the kind of the one that kicked this all off. Yeah, so we've already heard what Alison yeah. was accused of. And... I think it's interesting that when they get John Loyne... Because she was the only one who was... Ba- they basically... Um, they had a testimony of the actual victim because he wasn't dead. Yeah, he's the only person who gets to have a say, and he and yet he's the one person who has completely forgiven her for what happened. Yeah, mm. and she and he says that he gave his testimony and says that she, Alison, knew it all to be true. Yeah, supposedly. And, which is so he, weird because it wasn't. We know it wasn't true, but he believed it was true, and it seems that she believed it was true. Yeah. So for all intents so, and purposes, it was true. Yeah, from the modern day perspective, we know that what happened was completely explainable. He had a stroke, but she believed that she had cursed him. He believed that she had cursed him. They didn't know what a stroke was. Mm. They just thought that she had struck him down with some curse, and supposedly he gave his. The report tells us that he gave his. Uh, re- his account of what happened and immediately turns to her uh, in the docks or wherever she was standing saying, you know you did this. You've like you've admitted you did this. You know you did. And she falls down on her knees and begs forgiveness again, which he does give. She's so sad because she's like, oh, I've that caused suffering to this man. I didn't mean to do it. And we're like, you didn't do it. It wasn't your fault. <laughs> yeah, it, mm. it's really annoying from a modern day perspective to sit here and know that mm. it was a really understandable thing to do and you can imagine what it was like in the courtroom Potts describes John Law as a poor distressed peddler and when she's immediately admitting her guilt then people are just going to look at this poor guy and be like oh my gosh this is horrible can't believe these people are so evil yeah and they weren't evil they were just poor women yeah so easy scapegoats yeah Mm. but she was asked to make a statement again and after she's like fallen down on her knees crying and she tells of all how she became a witch, tells a story of old Demdike, her grandmother persuading her to allow a familiar um, to approach her and that's how she gets her familiar, the big black dog. And supposedly she, after she had fed the dog from a witch's mark under her armpit, she doesn't see it again until this encounter with John Law. So it seems like she wasn't really that into the witchcraft thing, but got very unlucky in that this is the one time that she believes she's taken part. Unlucky, and for sure. Look what mm, happened. Yeah. So the last two women, uh, I think this is interesting. I just want to pick it up. Margaret Pearson, she killed a horse with her witchcraft and oh, yeah, I this, love this is story. the origin of the word haggard because it comes from being hag ridden so if someone looks really lethargic and tired and just ill we would say haggard but it comes from yeah. being hag ridden it's this idea that 
a witch has sat on you and drained the life out of you. Margaret's a f an interesting one because this is her third appearance in court on charges of witchcraft. First time she was accused of murder and acquitted. The second time she was accused of bewitching one of her neighbours and acquitted again. And in 1612, uh, we hear about her bringing the death of one of her neighbours' horses. So this is... It's is she acquitted the third time or...? Uh, yeah, I think she was spared. Yeah, this, so she's this either very unlucky or very good at committing crimes. And yeah, getting so away she's with been them. accused of killing, of using witchcraft to murder, to bewitch, and to kill a neighbor's mm -hmm. horse, and yet she's acquitted of all three. So this is an example that she's walking out the jury. I don't know what's I would love going to see the, her facial there. expression walking out of that jury. <laughs> this like... is, yeah, this is the one that really confuses me because clearly in the rest of the the trials. There are women accused of far, on far mm. less evidence, yeah. of far less serious crimes. And yet Margaret Pearson manages to walk free yet again. Yeah, like when we think back to how little evidence got Anne Redford hanged, Redfern, um, compared to three separate trials for Margaret Pearson. Like, there's definitely something extra going on there. Why yeah. does she keep just walking out scot-free? I mean, once again, well, in Potts's mind, she is completely guilty, and he can't seem to get his head around why I the jury has let her go. He, he must have been fuming. Yeah. The last woman, Isabel Roby, again, not part of the two main families. Mm. This is a strange one. She seems kind of very separate to the others, kind of out of the blue. Yeah, she's a little bit of an anomaly. Um, she's frequently forgotten. This is one that, when I was a child, I didn't really know anything about Isabel Roby. It's not someone I came across. And it's, even in a lot of the historical writing about the Pendle Witches, she's kind of a footnote that was kind of like, oh, there are all the Pendle Witches. Oh, and Isabel Roby oh, was here as well. Even though she, she went through here. the, I feel like this is a great example of where something like this is it's definitely time to mention her because she went through the exact same experiences the others did she went through the same trials with the same judge um was convicted by the same jury spent the same amount of time in the same dungeon in the same tower and was taken to the same moors above the town and died on the same scaffold as all the pendle witches and yet people just forget her she, she doesn't really get her place in history mm. She was so she had a feud with her goddaughter's husband, Peter Chaddock. Yeah. So basically, a man wanted to get rid of a woman and was like, mm. "Oh, well, accuse her of witchcraft." There's all these yeah. other trials going on. Yeah, her this goddaughter was betrothed to this Peter Chaddock, and Isabel did not like this match. She she was opposed to this whole wedding, and he really did not take well to that, and. Uh, he told her that he didn't care what she thought. He he was going to marry her goddaughter anyway and said uh basically it was like he just turned around and said i don't really care what you think what you think you're probably a witch anyway <laughs> so he was just kind of throwing this accusation around but then it so happened that he was suffering bouts of pain in the next few years after that and immediately thinks oh well she I said she was a witch. Me. She must be, but other people have come forward as well. Uh, a lady called Jane Wilkinson became ill, and she had just refused Isabel milk. Isabella tried to get some milk off her, and she said no. Again with and the, the milk. milk, came milk again with yeah. the milk. And on another occasion, she said she felt a sharp pain in her leg as if someone had pinched her. And another lady called Margaret claimed that Isabel had 
told her that Peter would not recover from his pains until he apologised to her for being mean. So there's a lot of people accusing her and she was very quickly found guilty. She was found guilty... Well, a lot of them were found guilty. Eight women and two men were convicted. Uh, do you want to read out the judgment? Do you want me to do it in my, uh, my full northern yes. accent? Yeah, commit. Do it. It only remains I pronounce the judgment of the court against you by the king's authority, which is, you shall all go from hence to the castle, from whence you came. From thence you shall be carried to the place of execution for this county, where your bodies shall be hanged until you be dead. And God have mercy upon your souls. And they were led to the gallows? The one person who wasn't sentenced to death, Margaret Pearson... She was sentenced to stand in the pillories at Lancaster, Clitheroe, where I went to school, Padium and Worley on four market days with a paper on her head which was written large, the nature of her offence, um, basically what she was accused of. And afterwards she had to remain in prison in Lancaster Castle for a whole year. There would have been probably quite a crowd for their execution. I imagine oh, yeah. this had uh, been... Word had got round, shall we say. This also, people just be... like to go to hangings in those days, which is weird. Yeah, that but is they weird, did. to be fair. They were given a short drop rather than the long drop, which would have break, broken their neck. So, so they actually got the worst deal because they suffocated to death. Yeah. Away. Yeah, the long drop and a short stop is the less painful way to die by hanging because it breaks your neck and you basically die instantly whereas these poor poor souls suffered a short drop which didn't hurt their neck and instead they strangled to death slowly for Mm. possibly several minutes which is really horrific when you think Mm. about it yeah asphyxiation is supposed to be a really just really painful way to die yeah, they, they really had it in for these people. And not only did they suffer a horrifically painful death, the bodies were left there for an hour. They were then burnt and buried at a crossroads, so they didn't even get a proper burial. Well, we don't really know where they were buried. It's possible they were buried at a crossroads, but they were indeed probably left there for an hour, just hanging. But this was mostly to make sure that they were in fact dead. There have been instances described where people have stuck a straw down their throats, um, some sort of straw down their throat, so that they could breathe mm. while they're. Can being... you do that? Oh, I'm going to remember that in case. Yeah, in case that it, one of mine. you ever get hanged. Well, in I case mean, you ever get hanged. Don't know what the future holds. Don't know what the future holds. So they they hang them there for another hour to make sure that that doesn't happen. They don't get away with it, basically, and then burn them or bury them somewhere. We don't know of any graves for them. Supposedly, there's a plot in New Church in Pendle, which claims to be the resting place of Alice Nutter, because she's one of the m- famous ones. She's up there with uh, Demdike and Chattox. She becomes one of the really well-known ones. Um, but it's unlikely to really be her grave, because it's in a churchyard, and there is no way on this earth that they would have allowed a convicted witch to be buried in consecrated ground. That mm. just wouldn't happen. So we've talked a bit about the legacy already, but uh, is there a couple of other things that we didn't mention at the start? Well, one of the interesting little tidbits that 
people claim happened when they were when these women were executed when these people were executed was it said that on their way to the execution they were allowed to stop at a pub uh, on Moore Lane called the Golden Lion um, for one final drink before their death. Definitely didn't happen. Mm, that's yeah. just, <laughs> sounds just, like, that sounds like marketing to yeah, me. That's just the pub wanting to get more money. That's <laughs> Almost which, go with definitely. Money. Yeah, it's uh, it's a nice story. But probably and, not true. Uh, which, if, in terms of tourism, it's great. But uh, I think it's basically just to give tourists somewhere tangible for them to go and visit when they're visiting Lancashire in the search for the Pendle Witches. So, why do we think... Just to finish up, why do we think that, or why do you think that the women confess to the crimes, even though we now, we now know that none of that happened? I think it's probably a large amount of societal pressure and mm-hmm. kind of the cultural belief in witchcraft mm-hmm. at the time. I think to some extent they believed in witchcraft yeah. and that at least in Alison's case, it seemed like she really believed that it was possible yeah. that she could have caused the harm. And I get, yeah, if you're like a young woman, not that educated, superstitious times, everyone's telling you, oh my God, you cursed this man and you can see that he's fallen down mm. and you can't explain it's the like, symptoms, you'd be like, oh my God, I did. What yeah, if I, I did? did? I did curse that man. And yeah. I think in, in um, was it James... James Device's case where we can see that something bad has happened yeah, to him he's while been he's tortured. been in custody... It's possible that they could have been intimidated and possibly even tortured into giving these confessions. So, Another thing I think is interesting, I don't know if this has any basis in fact, but if you're kind of a woman and you're kind of at the mercy of these more powerful men like the judge and the justices, mm. um, you're sort of a victim, but confessing to the crimes is a way of kind of taking back some of the power. A little because bit, you're, yeah. you, you have these powers that they don't have. I suppose you, when you look, the people possibly took back this power in their own ways. So some of them admit to it and kind of maybe, like in Alison's case, maybe they admitted to these crimes because they really believed that they yeah. did do it or others who confessed and then also implicated others like Demdike when she was being taken down for all these crimes yeah. decided, why not? Yeah. We'll accuse the Chattox family as well and take them down with me. Yeah. There are probably different reasons or behind it. Or also not confessing at all. Or like Anne Redfern, yeah. not confessing denying at all everything. and just straight up denying everything and mm. causing a lot of annoyance in the court because she refused to admit mm. that she had done anything wrong. So, there's yeah, there's a lot of different characters in this. So would you describe them as being victims? To some extent, I think they were definitely victims of their time and victims of superstition. Victims of society. Yeah. Victims of each other. <laughs> victims of each other. I don't mm. feel like anybody... I mean, we weren't there, but when you think back, imagine what it was like at the time. Oh, I can't imagine. Mm. It's imagine you live in a society where you really truly believe that people are a, have the ability to curse people and cause death and disease and chaos and that your loved ones and neighbors are in real danger from these people. You truly believe that these people could cause harm to your loved ones. You're going to want to send them down. Mm. And mm. similarly but we also have to think what it was like for them being accused. Yeah. When you know that even the slightest suspicion could result in you being hanged quite easily. 
as we see, that there isn't a huge amount of evidence against these people yeah. in some cases. It kind of seems mm. like a lot of factors basically came together in a per- the sort of perfect storm yeah. to cause this to happen. A lot of coincidences, mm. uh, very badly timed strokes. And, <laughs> mm. Thanks, um, John. And also, I guess they're social vulnerability yeah. in terms that all exactly. of them apart from Anne seem to have been very poor yeah, yeah. there's only the two the two exceptions to that most of them were not very wealthy people and were easy victims they were possibly scapegoats for a lot of bad things that were happening and when calamity is stri- uh, has for a struck scapegoat. <laughs> they, they were going through a rough time at that point it wasn't a wealthy area and things were going wrong so they were looking for people to blame yeah I think it's kind of interesting how the word witch has sort of been reclaimed now in modern times. Like, it seems kind of, like, empowering. To some extent, maybe. Mm. It's become a lot cooler. Yeah. um, With, like, popular culture. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of things like um, the Discovery of Witches book series, the All Souls book series, and, um, like, American Horror Story and Sabrina on Netflix, Mm. things like that. It's all making it seem quite cool and... Um, powerful and women taking back mm. power mm. and being powerful in their own way it makes it seem like more of an attractive thing which is very very different to how we would yeah. have viewed it what I find really sad is that this like Malkin Tower meeting that supposedly happened they were basically just getting together to kind of work out how to help this other woman possibly and, yeah like, and then that was just kind of like turned against them yeah, just all mean? these people mm. who are all accused and they're all gathering in one place yeah. on Good Friday. Well, it had to be something su- suspicious. Mm. There had to be something pretty shifty. Or yeah. at least that's what the, that's what uh, John Potts would have you argue. Okay, so um, <laughs> did, were there any other books that you used when researching? Um, the two books that I looked through was in, uh, 1612, The Lancashire Witch Trials, A New Guide by Christine Goodyear. Um, and I read uh, The Wonderful Discovery of Witches in the County of Lancaster, Thomas Potts's original account, modernised and introduced by Robert Poole. Yeah, so uh, check that out if you want to learn more. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you have any suggestions or want to get in touch, you can email us at storiesofthesisterhood at gmail.com. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at hmdavis95. Or you could also follow the podcast on Twitter, which is at sisterhood underscore pod. Okay. Um, so you, you can also follow me at Twitter at Leisha underscore JD. And Hannah, if people want to find out more about what you're doing. Uh, well, mine is not very history related <laughs> anymore. Uh, but if you really feel the urge to follow me on Twitter, I am Do. at Hannah Snape. And yeah. Yeah. And as always, we'll like to thank Harry Bly for producing and editing this episode for us. Um, you can follow him on Twitter. We'll put it in the description. Yeah. Uh, Annie Clough Hillman designed our logo and she's got a website, so we'll put that in the description as well. And also our friend Lizzie Watson did the uh, music for us that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And if you want to follow Lizzie, her Twitter handle is at LizzieWatsonSop. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Stories of the Sisterhood was presented by Holly Morgan Davis and Alicia Joy Davis. It was produced by Harry Bly with music by Elizabeth Grace Watson.
This series is proud to be part of the Think Tank family. Find out more about this and other original shows at our new website, thinktank.fm.